On this episode of Twill, Red Hat has announced that Xorg is no more for RHEL. Pipewire 1.0 has been released to the world. Nextcloud has revealed that they are joining forces with the RoundCube project to improve the webmail option inside of Nextcloud. And OpenSUSE is currently running a contest to change some logos for various projects. All of this and so much more on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux. Good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. Red Hat has made an announcement that we've known about for a while, that it was a coming eventually, but it is coming now, at least to some degree. Red Hat has announced that they will be dropping Xorg from RHEL 10. So Red Hat Enterprise Linux 10 will not be shipping with X11 slash Xorg. Wayland has been the default for RHEL since RHEL 8, so it's not new that they've been using that but this will be the first version that it doesn't have Xorg as well because eight and nine currently do support Xorg. Red Hat developers are currently working with Upstream to improve the feature gaps, including support for HDR and better color management, improving XWayLAN compatibility, remote desktop, explicit sync support, input emulation, and capture through uh, libEI, support XWayLAN on OpenJDK, and many, many more things. So that's a big list of stuff that's a feature gap. So I'm kind of surprised that this is a decision being made so soon in comparison to what features people are expecting. When it comes to the enterprise types of Linux distributions, maybe that's not as needed. For example, remote desktop would be useful, but not everything like HDR would be something that most enterprise people would need. Although the improving for x compatibility is very important. So I think it might be a little too soon, but I guess it's got to happen someday anyway, you know, at some point. So RHEL 10 will be keeping XWayland around, but it's not going to be shipping XORG as the X display server. Now, this is a huge step for Wayland adoption, and it might be too soon, but at the same time, someone's got to do it at some point first to actually make sure that this happens. So I guess it's Red Hat now. <laughs> so Red Hat has been maintaining the Xorg server in the, X, the X11 system for a very long time. And they announced a while back that they were going to discontinue their maintenance for it. So this is probably along the lines of that. I'm very curious to see what happens in the other distributions related to Xorg and what happens overall with Wayland. I hope that the feature gaps are taken care of before we get to the point where people are expected to just use Wayland but we'll have to wait and see. And also, we may have to do something about NVIDIA for proper support with Wayland, but again, we'll have to wait and see. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. Pipewire has announced their 1.0 release, which for those who are not familiar with this kind of versioning system, this is a big deal because this is the first super major version of the release. Now, they have had support for Pipewire in many distributions, for a long time, many years, but this is the first 1.0 being a big step forward in terms of the project. Now, they are going to be retaining API and ABI compatibility with the previous version of Pipewire 0.3.x, but there is a lot of new things to talk about. So first of all, one of the new features is that it can now handle concurrent jackport git buffer calls, which our door uses. It now improved time reporting and also when using IRQ, 
fixed a MFD and DMA buff leak when uploading buffers while shutting down, and it now respects Pipewire DL close everywhere, as well as many other things like Bluetooth LC3 codec and documentation improvements and various bug fixes and that sort of stuff. So this is a really big deal, actually, in my opinion, because Pipewire is a fantastic project. It does not just, most people know it as the audio system that is replacing Pulse Audio, but it also does the same sort of things with the piping of inputs and outputs for videos in addition to the audio side. So it's a very big deal, and this is really cool to see. And I hope that Pipewire is adopted in every distribution. It's already in most, but it probably should be in everything because it is so good, and I can't wait for it to just keep improving. So if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of Pipewire or just Pipewire itself, you'll find links in the show notes. Let's talk about self-hosting a video platform, kind of like an alternative to YouTube that you can run yourself and spin it up on your own computers or in the cloud or whatever. And of course, I'm talking about PeerTube. PeerTube 6.0 has been released and based on the name PeerTube, you might be wondering how it works. Well, it uses peer-to-peer technology to reduce the load on servers, making it possible for people who are watching to help use the bandwidth from their systems to other people to help the uh, kind of ease the server burden on your own system. And this is a cool way to both have a very robust platform, but also not require an individual server to handle everything. Even distributed server to handle everything would still be a lot uh, as YouTube probably has to deal with every day and not probably. 100% does because it is a massive, massive website. But that's that's besides the point. Let's talk about PeerTube and PeerTube 6.0 because there's a lot of cool things to talk about in this latest version. They have now added password-protected videos. You can have a single password or many different passwords that you can give out or revoke at any time. You can also now override a video with a new version to fix mistakes, which is something that YouTube should have had years ago and still doesn't have, and a lot of people wish it did. So really cool to see that added to PeerTube. This feature must be enabled by your PeerTube instance admin. So if you're not running it yourself and you're using someone else's thing, you need to request that be done. You can now add chapter markers to your videos. The video player has been improved and you can. it now includes a video preview when hovering over the title bar. It's also more efficient on the video player and it's not being rebuilt anymore every time the video changes, which is really good for efficiency and speed of browsing the various videos. Also, they've improved search optimization, so PeerTube results appear higher on searches and other background changes to improve performance and bug fixes and that sort of stuff. So really cool news. I'm happy to see the updates to PeerTube. It is a very interesting project and I wish it all the best. I've used it quite a bit. And while I will continue to use YouTube, as in addition, I also like the ability to have PeerTube as well. If you'd like to learn more about PeerTube or check it out for yourself, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and Linstore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Linbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and Linstore. 
And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. LinBit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from LinBit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. The Open Mandriva team have announced the latest release of Open Mandriva 5.0. Open Mandriva, for those who are not familiar, is a continuation of the Mandriva Linux project, which was discontinued in 2012, which is related to the Mandrake system and etc. It uses the DNF package manager, the KDE desktop, which is a nice decision, and some maintenance utilities are special to Open Mandriva. Now, Open Mandriva currently ships a rolling release called Rome and a fixed release, which we're talking about here. Now, OpenMandriva 5.0 is the latest fixed release version. Most of the new features are just coming from updated packages like kernel 6.6.2, KDE Plasma 5.27.9.1, Mesa drivers 23.3, and so on. But they're also interested in expanding to more support such as ARM boards and various other things, as well as a RISC-V port, which will be really interesting to see. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of 5.0 from OpenMandriva, you'll find links in the show notes. So Nextcloud has announced something really cool. Now, before we get into that, I just really want to say a few things. First of all, Nextcloud is really cool. The file sharing system is really nice. The hub system is really cool. There's a lot of cool features. But one of the things that I've always complained about with Nextcloud is the mail system. The Nextcloud mail was, let's just face it, terrible. It was super basic. It could barely do hardly anything of value. And to me, it was just not even worth using. So I turned it on, used it for five minutes and got rid of it immediately. It just wasn't a solution that I wanted to use. But that is all changed as of this week because Nextcloud has announced that they will be joining forces with Roundcube. Now, for those who are not familiar with Roundcube, Roundcube is an open source webmail system and webmail client that you can apply to any server. If you have ever dealt with a web hosted or like a shared hosted company, they by default will give you Roundcube. They might give you other options as well, but usually Roundcube is the default because it is the most robust and most useful and also most modern. So it's really cool. So it's, and it's also used by a lot of various governments and various companies. It's pre-installed with cPanel. It comes by default on Synology NAS devices and many more things. Roundcube is really good. Also, according to Nextcloud, they say that Roundcube offers a standard of privacy and security in mail communication that is seeing an unfortunate decline at the modern workplace. Its capabilities find application in highly regulated industries like education and government. However, even though the projects are joining, they are not merging together. So they're joining forces, but it's not Roundcube becoming part of Nextcloud. And to continue the quote for the announcement, they say that the products both have strengths and weaknesses, and as open source products, they already do share some underlying libraries and tools, but remain independent offerings for overlapping but different use scenarios, which is really good because, first of all, Nextcloud is really good. Roundcube is really good. Nextcloud having Roundcube built in is awesome. So I'm happy to see that. If you'd like to learn more about Nextcloud or Roundcube, then be sure to check the links in the show notes. 
because I, I, I've been using Roundcube for so many years that I don't even remember when I first heard of it, well over a decade. And to see it going into Nextcloud, well done. I like this idea and I can't wait to try it out in the next release of Nextcloud or whenever it happens. I'm not sure if it's going to be in the next full release or if it's going to be like a plugin or something. But either way, I'm excited, especially considering the Nextcloud mail client wasn't that great. It was okay. It could it did what it needed to do. But I've gotten so, I don't know, spoiled by all the various features you can get with, with these mail clients these days. I'm happy to see this change. If you'd like to learn more, links in the show notes. OpenSUSE has been doing a redesign for their logo with a contest of having people submit new logos for various projects, including the OpenSUSE project itself. And they have now opened the voting for these new logos. There have been a lot of submissions for Kalpa, uh, Slow Roll, Tumbleweed, Leap, and even the new OpenSUSE logo submissions, which was 36 of those. Now, most of the, the logos for the OpenSUSE project itself are related to the current Chameleon logo, so it's just mostly variations and that sort of stuff. Now, there are some things that you had to go within the guidelines, and there was rules to how you do it. So it was kind of limited in what you could do, so it kind of feels like the contest is a bit skewed towards, for example, some of the projects weren't getting new logos, and they want you to have them feel similar, which drastically lowers the ability for creativity but at the same time i get why they want to keep some kind of similarity so you can know that they're associated but you know anyway for winners we'll get a geeko mystery box whatever that is it's a mystery so i'm very curious whoever wins let me know what it is because i would like to know but before we move on i do want to point out something open susa's logo is actually pretty good it's now slightly different from SUSE. It used to have SUSE and OpenSUSE have the same logo and it was kind of confusing. But now, because SUSE changed their logo, but they basically changed the design of their Geeko for OpenSUSE to have a different Geeko, I think works. And this logo is pretty good. It's a very old logo, but it still has a nice style. It has a good branding. It's not excessive. And I like it. And I don't see a reason why you would want to change it now, I understand you want to change some logos for the various projects, such as Leap or Tumbleweed, because the Leap Project logo doesn't really convey anything related to Leaping or whatever. But still, I think that the OpenSUSE logo that they currently have should just be kept because it is a good logo. And the options that were submitted were arguably limited in creativity as far as like what they could even submit. But I would suggest... Uh, just keeping what you have because it's it's pretty good also just a side note the survey system of being able to to vote was uh cumbersome at best because certain some votes were different in how you cast your vote versus other projects when you're voting for something else and it was just kind of awkward to the point i got past two things and just didn't submit my vote i just stopped voting <laughs> i'm just saying if the survey is cumbersome and people makes people not want to participate, then they won't participate. And I'm, that's what happened to me. Maybe I'm just an exception. I don't know. But I'm very curious what the, if they have tracking of people who started the survey and then stopped and see how much that happened. I would love to know that data. <laughs> anyway, keep what you have. It's good. 
And as far as the OpenSUSE project itself and the rest, you know, good luck to all the people who submitted and let me know what the Geeko mystery box is. Okay, let's talk about ChatGPT and OpenAI. We don't really talk about that sort of stuff on this show that much occasionally, but this one was so interesting, I just had to tell you, because they have been having a crazy, crazy week, and this all happened within a week, by the way. All of this happened within a week. So, there was some CEO fiasco situation. In a nutshell, the board fired the CEO, then the new CEO took over and then quit, and then the second new CEO got fired by the board, and then the new board brought back the first CEO after most of the employees threatened to quit, including one of the people who initiated the initial board firing of the first CEO, which is very, very weird. <laughs> so a little bit more detail is that Sam Altman was fired from the CEO position of OpenAI with the reason being not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise its responsibilities. President Greg Brockman was also removed from his position alongside Altman. Uh, OpenAI's CTO, Mira Murati, would then step in as the CEO. She would then be replaced by former Twitch CEO Emmett Shear, more than 730 of the 770 employees threatened to resign if Altman wasn't reappointed as CEO. Then Microsoft would then announce their new AI research team ran by Altman and Brockman. But then the next day, it would then come to an agreement to reinstate Altman and Brockman into their position. So Microsoft apparently isn't doing their research team anymore. And they also redid the entire board. In fact, getting Altman back as CEO instituted a requirement that the people who made the decision to kick him out in the first place had to be removed from the board. It's a very interesting topic. And all of this happened in a week. <laughs> then, about a week later, it was announced that Microsoft would get an observer seat on the board. And yeah, it's it's been crazy. <laughs> so, for those who are curious, ChatGPT is very interesting and very powerful, but also it's not immune to weird random drama. So that's what happened with them. Uh, also, uh, ChatGPT is a really cool project and a cool product and a very cool service, and I like it overall, and I've used it many times, and it's cool. But OpenAI is super annoying as a company because they're not open. It's a closed proprietary company who started off with being open even had open source, ChatGPT itself was open source, and then they decided to convert that into proprietary when they were able to make money. And yeah, I just don't like companies like that who would do stuff like that, or the people who are in charge of companies like that. Not a fan. Uh, but also, I just wanted to cover this because one, it's funny in general because of their history of doing the open to close thing, but also just funny in the first place, because within three days, they had three different CEOs, and that's not a good sign for any company. So I just thought it was interesting information, and if you would like to learn more about said interesting information, you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to be talking about GIMP again, and I don't typically like talking about GIMP because usually I'm telling you things about a new version that is not 3.0 coming out, and we don't know when 3.0 is coming out. But this time, we still don't know when it's actually coming out, but there is now a roadmap that is hopeful that GIMP 3.0 will come out in May 2024 with 
some non-destructive features. Now, it will still be destructive based on my research of what they were talking about being non-destructive. There is a huge list of features that are not there, but there is a couple that are there, which is cool. So it's better than nothing, but you know, progress is progress and all of that. The plan detailed on their Patreon page includes a finale, a finale deployment version. Why don't I just call it final? Anyway, the final deployment version next month, a release candidate a few months later, hopefully a release at the Libra Graphics meeting in May 2024. In fact, that's the plan. So they want to get the next version of GIMP, the GIMP 3.0, when the Libra Graphics meeting happens. And that's why they have chosen May 2024. Now, some of the features to look forward to include a port from GTK2 to GTK3, which you might be aware of this. And if you're not, here's also information. GTK4 is already out and has been out since 2020. So this is a catch-up effort, but still pretty far behind. Still better than being stuck on GTK2, which was deprecated 14, no, 13 years ago. Okay, um, redesigned API for plugins and scripts. That's really cool. Uh, the Gaggle engine has got a lot of improvement, which is very cool. Uh, Wayland support, thanks to GTK3 support. Color management improvements, CMYK for importing and exporting, and many, many more features to look forward to in May. Now, if you would like to help test the development versions and report bugs, you can do so. They are requesting people to do that. So I'll have links in the show notes for people who would like to do that. And just links in the show notes for people who would like to learn more about GIMP in general. But I am hopeful that this is going to happen because it'd be really nice to get some non-destructive functionality in GIMP. It's been a very long time without it. And it needs it to be even remotely a competitor in this space. Like right now, it's fine for most people, maybe even 85, 90% of people, but professionals would not consider GIMP for a variety of reasons, but the non-destructive being the most critical reason why people don't want to use it. So the fact that they're doing non-destructive in some way or another is really hopeful because I like that personally as a designer. So happy to see that. Hopefully it does come out in May. I still think they need to change the name because GIMP 3.0, it's a perfect time to change it because it's a huge major jump and it would be very beneficial for the project to change its name for a variety of reasons. But hopefully that happens. Probably won't happen based on their FAQ saying no. But hopefully, you know, fingers crossed and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more or if you'd like me to give a video specifically about why GIMP should change its name and also what GIMP needs to become a competitive project, let me know in the comments and I will be sure to add it to my list. I've been thinking about doing it for a while, but if the community and audience wants me to do it, let me know. This week, we're going to end the show with some Christmas spirit stuff. So, for example, Ryan, my co-host from Destination Linux, has recently released a video about a geek gift buying guide for Christmas. So, if you have a geek in your life that you're not sure what kind of product or cool thing they might want to check out and get for Christmas, then you can go look at that video. I'll have it linked in the show notes for all the tips that Ryan has. Now, I wanted to add something on top of that list and because, well... I just think this is, first of all, horrible and hilarious because Microsoft is now selling their own ugly sweater for Christmas with the Windows XP wallpaper. That's right. 
This sweater contains a recreation of the famous Bliss wallpaper from Windows XP. It is available from sizes small up to 3XL and costs $70, which is a very expensive, very expensive product for a sweater, especially considering it's an ugly sweater. But also, I kind of want it. I know that's weird, but I, it's not because I don't like Microsoft. I don't like Windows. It's whatever. But Windows XP has kind of like this nostalgia thing to it. And also its wallpaper for back in the day was pretty good and is now become like iconic and classic. So having a sweater with the wallpaper of Windows XP, it, I kind of want this. <laughs> I don't know if I want it for $70, but it is worth noting that the proceeds of it are going towards benefiting the Nature Conservancy. So there, it's for a good cause as well. So maybe if you're curious about it, you could check the links in the show notes. And I'm going to have to like maybe hover over the buy button. We'll see. <laughs> I can't decide yet, but I, I kind of want it. Let me know if you want it in the comments below. I'm very curious how many people are interested. I'll make a thread. You can just upvote it and or comment underneath it and that sort of thing. So we can kind of have it isolated into a thing where it automatically counts on the comments. So on the YouTube video, I will post a message saying, uh, I want the Windows XP ugly sweater and you can just either upvote it or comment in there and we can maybe see how many people actually want it. Because I kind of feel like it is going to be a lot. I think I am going to buy it at this point. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm, I'm convincing myself to do it. All right, links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com membership, where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at our store at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other cool stuff like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, coasters, and just much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux GNUs. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell. I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring that notification bell. And until next time, I bid you farewell. <laughs>